Welcome into another episode of the TD Podcast. I am Travis Roeder here with Jeffrey Davis. And, you know, I Jeff, I bought this program that's going to record our audio. Um, I should say, you know, Ashley Hodge, owner of 365, helped pay for it. So thank you, Ashley. Um, thank you, Ashley. Yes, yes. And, of course, I think for all of the future, it's going to be way better. But, of course, it took 30 minutes to set up. Um, so that eats into our recording time. So enough about that. We're going to try and get as much football jam packed into about a 45 minute episode here as we possibly can. Jeff, of course, is on some sort of escapade for his family, dealing with moving things, fixing things and all of the Jeff things that is normal for Jeff. So he has a heart out here. So we'll do about 40 minutes of pure football talk here today. We are talking Baylor's front, uh, really kind of the front five, front six, front seven, focusing on those defensive linemen, outside linebackers, inside linebackers, and the star player. Jeff, you excited to talk front, front seven today? I am. I'm I actually am very excited. This is the part of the team that I am the most geeked about. So, yes. Right. I mean, and I think the reason you're most geeked about it is because, you know, you know, we're kind of an unfortunate podcast doing duo because both of us are probably on the optimistic side for this year. You would like for maybe one of us to be a pessimist and one of us an optimist. You act as the pessimist, which, you know, we're still both on the kind of the optimistic side of the scale. So, but I think the, you know, the primary reason we're so excited about this team is because what they've assembled on this defensive front is kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of an outlier for everything that Baylor has been for the last, you know, two or three decades at least. And I don't know if they're ever, they're ever going to be able to assemble a front this good ever again. So I don't know if I'll go quite that far, but I, w- I will say this. Like, I don't know any of the eighties teams. Not really. I-, I wish I, you know, I wish I did, but I just don't. But I will say that since I have basically been aware of the concept of Baylor football beyond like, a little kid level knowledge of just football. Um, this is the best. This is the best two deep front that Baylor has had since at least since the mid nineties. I, I don't like. I don't feel. I don't think that's an exaggeration. Um, so, I do think that there. Are, I mean, it's definitely possible that they are that they have another unit that is this good at a certain point in the future. Um, it doesn't mean that they won't have great units going forward, but it does. Depending on how things shake out at Jack um, and you know star as well like there's there are paths to this being the best front seven you know in the last in the last 10 years or the next 10 for sure we kind of write off the 2000s i think everybody does yeah yeah that's why it's so easy to say recent history for baylor because basically you just have to think about yeah. the browse teams and then yeah. <laughs> you know the, the, beyond that you the, i can yeah. pretty fairly say nothing better in the 2000s so yeah, I mean, I think in the future, it's quite possible you might see some teams. Um, I mean, who knows what will happen, right? But I think, you know, even next year or in, in uh, you know, in years to come, you might see some Baylor starting units that are as good as they're going to put forth this next year. But I think what you were hinting at there, the depth is really yeah. what puts this this unit over the top. I mean, Chidi Obanaya is like your third string nose tackle. Yeah, uh, that's, that's... Chidi is Chidi's not a great player. Uh, but he can't, you know, he has great moments. And the reason he's not a great player is because he's been pretty inconsistent. But for a third string nose tackle, I mean, are you kidding me? That's, I think, out, that's outrageous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's that's outrageous. Yeah. So let's jump into it here. Um, you know, this could be a 45 minute discussion in and of itself. But I think before we start talking about the front, it's 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 useful to elucidate and clarify for the listeners you know, what is Baylor's schematic front? Um, you know, they basically kind of base out of two different, 
schematic packages. Um, and that's their tight front, you know, tight four as it's known because it's, uh, you know, the tight front with quarters coverage played behind it. And then under one, which is an under front with, you know, cover one behind it. But really, let's focus on the front here. Why are tight and under? And if you could kind of briefly explain those to the listener, Jeff, um, you know, why do they want to operate out of those? And, you know, what kind of players does it select for? Sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll echo Dave Aranda. Um, he, he's referred to the tight front as a way of playing. Um, he's likened it to playing zone coverage in um, basketball as opposed to man-to-man, except you're playing zone coverage against the run. And that it's not a hundred percent great. I know where he's going. I'm not trying to critique Dave Miranda in terms of just the, I'm critiquing the analogy itself. The analogy is, is a little forced, but it does make sense in terms of when you play a tight front, your goal, your goal is really kind of three areas. And like, what, what do we mean by tight? Okay. Tight. What it comes down to at the end of the day is tight means that you have a nose tackle that is either it is either zeroed up, which means you're head to head, nose to nose with the center, or you're playing a shade, which is basically you're lined up to the shoulder of the center, but you are on the center in either way. Okay. And then um, you have people at the four eye and what the, the eye stands for inside. And really the four eye is just a football dork way of saying the inside shoulder of the offensive tackle. Um, this is something that Aranda, it, it, well, to give a little bit more historical context, uh, this is something that came out of really uh, the old 46 defense uh, from the Chicago Bears time. I don't know if anyone really remembers that, but uh, way back in the early 70s, you had a concept known as uh, the double eagle, which got really, really popular as a way of trying to combat uh, inside inside runs with the fullback lead, and so if you're under the age of 35 and you have no idea what the hell a fullback is, um, <laughs> I'll you know I'll tell you to go on YouTube. If you're over the age of 35 and you remember fullback dives out of the I formation or the offset or any of that stuff, uh, that was the original impetus for it. Was you could bring those guys in and basically clog up every interior gap inside of the inside of the tackle box, not the tight end, but the tackle box itself with uh, defensive linemen, and then either force the run outside or primarily just allow a situation where you could, uh, if you could blow up the blocker efficiently, you could really get a hat on a hat inside. And this is actually what Mike Singletary was so good at, um, was he was, I don't think this is an exaggeration, he may have may have been either the best or if not the best, like in that Mount Rushmore for, I'm sitting back, I see the lead back coming through the hole. I'm going to meet that guy in the hole. I'm going to stop the blocker in the hole. I'm going to shed that guy off and make a tackle at the line. That's a very difficult still to be able to stand up a moving guy like that. And he did that extremely well. Um, So fast forward to today. Why why do people really use it? Well, they use it for the same reason, honestly. Well, they use it for a bunch of reasons. But the biggest one has to do with it gives you more people in – uh, coverage in space. In the 70s, the uh, odd front really developed because at Oklahoma, it's really hard to get defensive linemen, and even Oklahoma struggled to get defensive linemen. So they came up with a system that allowed them to really recruit three instead of four, and that was worth it to them. I just uh, and- want to briefly interrupt, Jeff. You said odd front, and just for the listener at home, it literally just means odd number of defensive linemen up front. So here, tight front, you got the four eyes, zero of the four eyes. That's three guys up front versus, you know, a, a more even front would be, you know, four being an even number. 
yeah, I, if you play Madden a lot, or you remember that, like a 4-3 versus a 3-4 is a good way. Another way of thinking it also is sometimes um, if you have five on the line, that's still considered an odd front. But really, it's a good way of thinking kind of three to four, three, a 4-3 or a 3-4. Right. Um, but those guys, get those guys they allow, it allows you to put really big guys on the front and to control the offensive line and to free up basically faster players in space. Um, if you have if you have smaller defensive linemen, you have to make up that size elsewhere. And so you have to, you know, at the NFL level, you put a lot of pressure on your linebackers. Most teams that run a 4-3 have space aliens at linebacker. Um, It's hard to find space aliens at linebacker in college. Uh, So it's actually a lot easier to run an odd front, I think, at at the college level. It's what I would do. I mean, even if I was Alabama, I mean, you see what Alabama and Georgia do. They have all the resources on the face of the earth, and they run odd fronts because it's easier to find and, and maintain those guys at the college level than it is at the pros. Um, so the tight front is those three guys. And the goal with the tight front from a scheme perspective is don't get beat up the middle. This is one of, um, Nick Saban's, like when you open up his defensive playbook and they've got, it's got an initial, like, this is what, this is what the Alabama defense does. You know, they give it a very high level. And his, his two things are we play zone on first and second and blitz and play man on third. And the other one is we don't get beat up the middle. And he believes it so strongly that if basically they give it, they are okay with giving up like a hundred plus yards of rushing. If it's to the outside, as long as they don't give up any yards up the middle, because getting beat up the middle is just something that if you can't stop that, then it's, it's demoralizing, but you, you don't, you don't have another option. And so, you know, if, if a team can run for five to seven yards up the middle every time, and this happened to Baylor, you know, really in 2016 and 2017, especially there's just nothing else you can do. I mean, there's, there's no more there, there, like the game is over, say for you stripping the ball and trying to create fumbles and stuff like that. So uh, tight front gives you a lot of, um, it gives you a much better run defense. That's really, it's first and foremost, it's a run defense front. And that's why you see it on standard downs and you don't see it on um, passing downs typically. Uh, but it gives you a way to really control the run game without having to, um, I guess I'll say you don't have to do a lot of crazy run fitting, which is really nice at the college level. Like you don't have to put so much on your linebackers to do all sorts of crazy run fits. Um, They can just kind of read their keys and they know what they're supposed to do and they can go for it. So it makes it a little bit easier, I think, to read and read and attack more or less instead of having to do a lot of your a lot of your additional stuff. So that that's the type front. Yeah. And a couple of things worth mentioning there. You know, you mentioned that the tight front is a, is a run-stopping front, and yeah. I think the fact that you stated well it allows you to have more guys back in pass coverage, so isn't it kind of more of a pass coverage front? Um, I think if, if anybody's kind of confused by that distinction there, I, what 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 we really mean by saying it's a, it's a run-stopping front is that it's not an advantageous position to rush the passer from this front. You know, the four eye lined up on the inside shoulders of the offensive tackles and a zero or shade nose, you know, not, it's not the most threatening pass rushing positions. You usually have to really kind of fight through guys. You're doing what's called what coaches will refer to as, you know, you're playing run to pass. You, you stack, you stack the chest, the shoulders of the offensive lineman in front of you. And then if you see it's pass, you rip through and get through after it. And I think that was really exemplified in the TCU game last year where Baylor held TCU to something like 38, 48 yards rushing, but they were playing a lot of that type front on standard downs. TCU would just run play action and Baylor's defensive linemen were just not quick enough to kind of rip through and get in the backfield before Chandler 
Morris blew, uh, you know, blew them up downfield. So that that's really kind of the impetus of why it's a, a run-stopping front first and foremost. You're really allocating those resources up front, even though it gives you more coverage on the back end, you're not getting a, a great pass rush. Yes, 100%. Exactly. So, and if we can kind of quickly go over under and why, you know, under is this kind of other main front that Baylor and Aranda uses, Aranda Roberts. Um, you know, I've kind of heard it referred to as, you know, under is kind of kissing cousins of the type front because really all it is is you're kind of shifting guys over a gap. Um, but it it really is. It, it ends up playing out a lot different, even if a lot of the, you know, the technique can be pretty similar. And it's really because you're shifting guys, you know, in between players as opposed to uh, uh, as opposed to kind of trying to occupy guys. Right. Yeah. So if you hear for the listener, if you hear the terms under or over um, and right. under front just means that your front, your 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 defensive line, not your linebackers. Your defensive linemen are shifted away from the run strength right. of the formation. So if you've got a tight end on the line, you're shifting your defensive linemen away from the tight end. Mm -hmm. And over front means you're you're shifting them towards the right. uh, run strength. Um, so that 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 is all, that is really kind of all they means. If you if uh, for those of you that remember the famous Tampa two or um, the uh, War uh, Warren Sapp. Or any of those type of guys that the under front is also has created the nickname for the under tackle which is the famous three tech defensive tackle or the pass rushing defensive tackle um in most in most scheme diagrams you'll see that well most i'd say that i don't know most i just know from some i've seen uh from some i've seen that they're listed oftentimes as the ut that stands for under tackle and so you'll hear that terminology occasionally interplaced it's really a defensive tackle that's just shifted in that under front outside and the reason that the reason that teams do an under front is it's much more advantageous, as you said, to generating a pass rush than uh, a heads up or an over front. Right. And I, I don't know if this is a, uh, an oversimplification and opening up a whole other can of beans that we don't have time to get into. But is it fair to say that under fronts are kind of more advantageous for, um, you know, playing against the pass, whereas you know, over fronts have really historically been used to kind of plug that strong side of the run formation, or is that totally off base? It, that, that's a, I, there's more nuance to it, but that's a great way to sum it up, 100%. I mean, there, there's always, occasionally what you will see Roberts and Aranda do on third downs is they will shift over, not occasionally, they do it a pretty good bet on third downs. They will shift over or under if they, if they really if they found a matchup on the defensive or offensive lines that they really, really like, and it's a way to really force that team to one-on-one -on -one that person. Right. But, you know, because they, they very much, particularly in pass rush, they all, you know, Aranda and Roberts are a real big believer in matchups over, right. uh, over, over other stuff. Um, but yes, like outside of a bunch of nuances stuff, that's a great, that's a great rule of thumb. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think it's worth talking about, um, you know, the reason, or excuse me, you know, in, in 2021, Baylor really shifted between these two fronts a lot. But by the end of last year, I think we saw them playing a lot more of that under style. And I think it's for a couple of reasons. Um, but really, primarily, it goes to what you were just talking about with featuring matchups. And that's why would we have Apu Aika playing this zero nose with his job being to basically stack and shed the center in the backfield when we can just line them up as a three technique or one technique or, or a two eye or something like that. And really just kind of have them match up against an offensive guard and just destroy them and get in the backfield. 
Yeah, I mean, they, he did that extremely well against Ole Miss. And, you know, it, we I, we talked about this before the Iowa State game uh, when we, when we uh, for our very first one of these, where we were talking about the differences in their game, uh, between Aku's game and uh, Mike Bravey on Roy's. And the mm-hmm. thing that, you know, I, everyone kind of came in as like, with Apu last year, um, that he was this huge run stuffing, like vehement right. man. And I mean, he's a big dude. I'm not saying he's not, but it was really interesting watching his first game because he's. I mean, he was last year. I think he was at, even in the Ole Miss game. He's a better pass rusher than he is a run defender. Oh, without uh, a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, and I just I think um, most of that I think has to do honestly with his arm length um, is is a big part of that. But he's such a good pass rusher that they they figured out a way, particularly against teams that don't run a lot of zone, if they can match him up on guards, then and let him try to penetrate in like that. Usually, like there aren't that many guards in the league that can handle him. They're they're just not. So it's you know going back to like what we said, like they're going to figure out ways to put their guys in the best possible situations on a down to down basis, and a lot of times that's going to be Abu over a guard this year, and they're going to shift around the fronts to make that happen. Yeah, and a fact that's really interesting about um, about Baylor's front and with how Rand and Roberts handle everything is that they've basically got you know a couple different things they do on standard downs, which is what we've been talking about this whole podcast. You know, they're either in this tight front or they're in this under front, and then you know, like a lot of guys, they kind of wholesale change things on third downs. They're usually, if they can, they sub, but either way, like they're really running different stuff on third downs. And so what that creates, and this was really noticeable to me when I was at practice yesterday, when you look at just pure scholarship numbers distributed across the defense, I mean, they have more jacks, you know, the outside linebackers on scholarship than they do corners, which is kind of funny when you think about it, because there's usually only one jack on the field. Um, you know, on third downs, you'll bring in, you maybe have two, but there's always at least two corners on the field and sometimes three. <laughs> so yeah. I think it really kind of exemplifies for you the need to have a bunch of guys who can do a lot of different stuff because it's not just necessarily about, you don't necessarily, I think fans think about versatility wrong sometimes. It, you don't want versatility just because uh, it's fun to do different things. You you need guys who can do different things because your scheme requires different things within its structure. And so tying this whole conversation together, you know, a tight front four eye defensive end looks a lot different than a five tech defensive end, which, which you're going to get, which all the difference there is that four eyes on the inside shoulder of the tackle five tech is on the outside shoulder of the tackle. But those, you might think that just like which shoulder of the, of the offensive tackle you're lined up against as a defensive end wouldn't make that big of a difference, but it really um, emphasizes and utilizes a whole different group of traits, which is why I think we've seen that like somebody like TJ Franklin, he's kind of struggled to find a role in this Baylor defense because he's not an ideal four eye defensive end, but in games where they play a lot more of the under front where he can play that five tech, all of a sudden he looks like one of Baylor's best players. So it's just like, well, where did he go in this other game? Well, it was just a game where they didn't use that front as much. And so all that say, you know, it requires you need a bunch of guys who can do a bunch of different things. I mean, Baylor's up to six defensive line commits now, I think, in this current class. It's either five or six. And it's because they need a bunch of guys who can do a bunch of different things. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into this group of guys for this year. Um, You know, last year, I think what we saw was the front. I wouldn't. You know, struggled is a relative term, right? I, I don't know how much they struggled in the first half of last year. They were pretty good in the first half of last year. But we really saw them in the last three or four games of the year start to control things. Uh, Gabe Hall at the defensive end. Uh, Cole Maxwell was healthy. Um, when he was healthy, he was playing well. Obviously, Apu Aika in the interior. And then you've got the kind of the second unit, too, with TJ Franklin, Raiden Utley, Chidi Obinaya. All those guys, what really stood out to me 
was that their technique in how they played the doubles with how they stacked started stacking and shedding, which is that term for when the defensive line engages the offensive lineman with his arms and then rips him out and gets after the ball carrier whenever the ball carrier chooses which way they're going to run. All that stuff, you know, I think about that Oklahoma game. It was just it was just perfection. And I, so I think you've got to give a lot of that credit to, to DJ, Baylor's uh, defensive line coach. Meatball. Yeah, meatball, exactly, exactly. Uh, but what we really saw is that technique really started to, to 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 show itself. I mean, another example I think of is Braden Nutley had to start for Gabe Hall in the Ole Miss in the Sugar in the Sugar Bowl game because Gabe Hall was out with you know injury or COVID or whatever it was, and Braden Nutley was just dominating these Ole Miss offensive linemen that were all like four star guys. Braden Nutley is a former walk on, but he was just doing it with great technique. Um, so, what did you see from that unit last year? How did you feel about their, their progression? So, yeah, I, that's, I mean, everything that you just said, I think is accurate. Um, The unit really, to me, started to, there were two areas where I think they really started to play significantly better. Um, One was after the, really was after the TCU game. I mean, I don't know, they, there was a bunch of things that they kind of had to correct coming out of that. They were, they, you know, they really struggled with maintaining pass rush lanes out of things. I mean, they just, that unit played poorly uh, against TCU and they had, they had had some, flashes i think and then going coming out of the tcu game i know honestly like i would not have expected them to be able to play like they did going down the stretch because even against texas you know they were good but they weren't there were there were just lapses no other way to put it there were still just lapses and then coming out and they went up against oklahoma they had an incredible game plan against um against ou and they just executed across the board. And I think that that was, that really was a turning point in that um, from that moment on, I don't know if it's because they had the confidence that they could do it or, you know, what exactly it was. If it was just a middle thing of finally clicking on, if like, you know, if we actually need to do it the way they're telling us, like, here's the obvious results. Like we can shut this team down, which is what they did against OU. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not in the room. I can't say, but, their technique, which had gotten better throughout the course of the year, really seemed to solidify over the back half of October. And then by that OU game, they were playing pretty lights out. Um, the Apu, I think the other issue for uh, that for us, again, I'm not on the team, I'm sorry, but two things that really noticed from a personnel standpoint. The first one was uh, Apu, Apu got significantly better over the first two months. Yeah. And I mean, it's just... I mean, you you could we could get him on the phone right now and say Texas State last year, how did you do? And he would say <laughs> I played terribly. I mean, he just would like that's not that's not negative. Like he knows he just he wasn't there yet. I don't know if it was uh, conditioning or had been uh, you know off for so long. I think a lot of people, particularly linemen, were really struggling with conditioning coming into last year, coming off of COVID. And he hadn't seen a pure double team in like a year. <laughs> yeah, he hadn't seen a pure double team, and he's getting doubled immediately. And so it just. He didn't, you know, he didn't play great, and he he got a lot better. Um, honestly, better than I thought he like his progression over the year was more than I would have expected from a defensive lineman. Defensive lineman, um, because so much of it is just technique and strength. When you're talking about the to be able to execute the run defense, you expect some improvement, but you don't usually expect like a ton of improvement throughout the year, because so much of that at the DL position has to has to do with your strength level, like how what's your upper what's your upper body strength what's your you know how, how well can you grip how well is your technique going all that kind of stuff like and that's stuff that really gets repped in you know january and then march and so 
um, he played significantly better. And then the other one was, I, I you know, Cole Maxwell, God bless that man. I, I um, you know, he's got to be like 28, 29 at this point, but he looks it too. <laughs> he looks it. Um, when he's healthy, he's the best run defender Baylor's had, I think, probably since um, uh, Phil Taylor. I mean, he just – he's outstanding at it. And I, I really – like, if he can stay healthy, like, I think he's got a future in the league just as a pure – just as a pure run defender. I mean, he's long-levered. He's, you know, he's 295, I think. He looks – he doesn't look 295, so it's all great weight. Um, he is a, he's just a natural at being able to extend his arms, control an offensive lineman, and to be able to shut off. And, like, you, you'll see this against um, teams. Teams don't run at him. I mean, they just don't. When they have the option of where they want to go, um, last year, honestly, teams ran at Gabe Hall. Like, if the starters were in, Gabe Hall was the guy on a third and fourth and short. Like, almost every time Gabe Hall was getting the call, it was going over one of his gaps. Um, they don't they don't run it a boo and they definitely don't run it Cole. And so Cole being healthy all of last year, um, I think was a big was a big differentiator for them as well. And so Apu getting better, Cole staying healthy, um, they just they were able to, I think, improve to a level that Baylor hasn't seen on the defensive line in a really long time. They were I think that top to bottom that twenty nineteen they ran a very different scheme in twenty nineteen. I think the 2019 uh, front three was better than it was last year, but I don't think that they're going to be better than this year's team. I think this year's front, this year's starting defensive line, and there's no question like the overall two deep is better, if not significantly better than a 2019. How do they how do they involve Jackson Player? I mean, what we saw in the spring game was that he uh, was just playing backup nose, so the same position that Apu was. And I think it sets up pretty clearly to where you don't want Apu Aika playing more than 30 or 40 snaps a game. And so then you can just, you know, most college football games settle somewhere between like 65 and 80 snaps or something like that. Yeah. And so you, it sets up a pretty clear scenario where they can kind of just, you know, alternate drives, something like that. However, Apu and Jackson are probably two of your five or six better players on the team. You're going to want to put them on the field at the same time. Is the underfront the solution for that? Honestly, I think I, I it, it's a great problem to have. My honest answer is I think it's how Gabe Hall plays this year. Right. You know, from 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 going back and watching the last couple of weeks. You know, I mean, just to be honest, like there were there were plays against Ole Miss and against UT where he didn't play well. Not, and not Ole Miss, he wasn't in that game. Oh, sorry, not Ole Miss. Thank you. I was thinking of the Ole Miss because of Ole. That's that's correct. But I, you know, if I had seen the, it was it was the UT game, and you know, you, you it's it's very bad habit to like judge a player off of one game but he just he was not comfortable basically doing what cole maxwell does so well which is again like walking your arms in extending your arms out and walking out the offensive lineman into the hard shoulders dave aranda talks about being able to post that up and then sit into that gap um that's the thing he has to do the best and i don't you know after watching the old miss game uh I actually like legitimately thought that Utley was better than he was in run defense in that Ole Miss game compared to how um, uh, compared to how Hall had done against UT. So if I think the answer to your Jackson player comment really comes down to how well um, Gabe Hall plays. You know, Gabe Hall has he's he and like Elijah Ellis, who's they're the, you know, they're the two best looking guys on the team. They're the two best looking guys on the team. Like pretty in pads, they look like my my line is central casting, but they look like they were in central casting for like an NFL defensive lineman or NFL offensive tackle. They just look the part. Um, if if Hall's technique 
can catch up to his athleticism, he could be dominant and then player's going to be like a super sub, which uh, he's going to kind of go wherever you need him to do. If he's not dominant against the run, then I think you're going to see him play a lot more, honestly, probably at that, um, at the field end spot where, um, or excuse me, at the defensive tackle spot where they're just going to put him over a uh, offensive tackle on standard downs and just let him lock him out, particularly against guys that don't have a lot of length. And they're just going to let him do that, and they're going to play Gabe Hall more on pass rushing downs. So, um, how do you feel about my yeah. flubber nickname for Jackson? I feel like uh, <laughs> I just, you know, when I watch him, it's amazing. I, the first tape I watched of him was against Ohio State. Obviously, Ohio State has their pick of you know pick of the litter when it comes to five star offensive tackles. And Jackson Player, for those of y'all don't know, he's like five eleven, six flat at best. And has, again, I'm sorry if you're listening, Jackson, but thankfully you're probably not. His like the worst looking body you've ever seen of any defensive lineman out there. But I think this short stature and his kind of flubberiness helps him in the fact that offensive linemen just like cannot keep their hands on him. He is impossible to corral. Yeah. Well, we'll see that on the field this year. Uh, we saw it in the spring game. He was, <laughs> he was, do- he was dominating honestly against yeah. J- Jacob Gall. Jacob Gall is a good center and yeah. if not great. And Jackson player was just in the backfield, like every play. So I think that's going to be interesting to watch this year because as you said, you know, as we talked about alternating him and Apu works really well, but at the end of the day, you got to get your best players in the field and that's really kind of what the ethos of the Aranda Roberts defense is, is kind of design your defense around around your players. So we'll watch yeah. that happen. Yeah, and I, that, I, I, I 100% agree with that. Like, they are, they are going to find ways to, particularly, again, in, in bigger games, you know, I think B, like BYU will be one, um, OUUT will be, will, will be a pair, but like in the bigger games where they know they need it, they're going to pull out a bunch of stuff on third downs that are just, you're not going to see any other time of the year. That is just a hundred percent trying to get their best players yeah. on in the best, in the best positions for sure. Yeah. The, the, the passing downs is one where it's like, it's so fun. And I can imagine it's fun for the coaching staff too, but even for us fans, like drawing up the different combinations they can put out there. Um, but it's funny because Apu and Jackson are probably two, they might be your two best pass rushers on the field. And they're both kind of like tank style nose tackle looking guys. And then they're going to be flanked by these ultra fast, quick guys like Bryson Jackson out on the edge, you know, Garmin Randolph. I mean, I think what's, you know, a big reason we're so high on this front this year is it, it, it's set up to have a dominant standard down run stopping defenses, which is what we saw at the tail end of 2021. But we're looking at a third down package where, even though there isn't a Petrie coming off the edge and, a, and there's not a Bernard coming through the middle, the guys that they put up front in those four and five man fronts are going to be damn near impossible to block. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Just yes. Yeah. Yes. So. All right. Well, let's talk briefly about the guys behind them. Um, I don't think we'll have time. Maybe we can save talking about the star position for when we talk about the defensive backs, but let's talk about those inside linebackers. So, you know, Roberts has talked about how uh, I was listening to him in a podcast and he said, there's a reason he coaches the inside linebackers. He said, it's because this position requires more mentally from these guys than any of the other positions. You know, the defensive line is the defensive line. They're doing what they do up front. They get their call. They execute their call. The defensive backs, they execute their coverage. 
But depending on what the call is up front and depending on what the coverage is behind them, the inside linebackers have to adjust what they're doing to everything that's going wrong, along, excuse me, everything that is going on around them. And so it's a position that not only obviously requires the requisite athleticism, physicality, et cetera, but also a lot of intelligence. Yes. And I can't imagine a better guy to have as a senior leader at middle linebacker. I mean, obviously you can imagine a better version of Dylan Doyle, yeah. but I mean, come on, he is a great guy to have as your kind of senior leader, middle linebacker, especially with what this defense requires. Watch pale guy. Now I, I, <laughs> I, I, I only, I, I say that in jest, um, Doyle, you know, I was wrong on Doyle and uh, I'll, you know, I, I think particularly like when podcasters get up here and, you know, they, they ramble on and they always want to make it seem like they were, they, they knew everything and like, you know, they had right. But like, I, I'll be honest, I remember watching Doyle at the start of 2020 and just being like, nope. man, I don't get it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just, I don't know if he was, if he was injured at the time or what, but, you know, we had just come off, we, we as fans, I mean, in this case, we had just come off um, the rule the rule approach, which was just like pure athleticism at any of these move LB positions. And then they went and they got Doyle, who is this at the time was you gave off this vibe of this like super instinctual, slightly under, um, under, athletic. Uh, <laughs> under, under athletic, uh, linebacker. And the way he played to start 2020 was just like, I mean, he'll tell you this too. Again, it's, I mean, it just wasn't good. There's just no way to put it. There was no instincts. And, then, and so there, it was no, kind of like, what the, what's the yeah. point? Yeah. And so it's just, it was all over the place. And then over the course of 2020, he got, he got better. I thought he actually played better than Bernard. Like Bernard was injured at the end of 2020, but he had some games at the end of 2020. And I think particularly the tech game is the one that's coming into my mind, but where he was like the, I thought maybe the best defender in the front seven. I mean, he just had clearly gotten a lot better. And then by the end of last year, you know, when you add, when he's given interviews about what, what he needs to improve on and it's, he says consistency, he's right on that, but his good plays are as good as anyone's. And I like, I don't mean this. I don't mean this in a facetious way. There are, for those of you that have, I, there's a couple of guys that are uh, really, really good on Twitter about um, basically doing breakdowns on like individual players at the college level. And um, a famous guy on Twitter is, is uh, Bents, who's a guy who's always on and off Twitter. But he made a comment about, or Bets, excuse me, he made a comment uh, a few months ago on uh, Doyle where he said, he's like, I think Doyle might legitimately be the best run defensive linebacker in the country. And when you watch him play, when he make like his good plays, like I don't think that's an exaggeration. I mean, he is that good. Now he's not he's not the best in pass coverage. He doesn't have as much athleticism as he needs. It I want just, to clarify not, there though. He's really good in zone coverage. He's just he obviously is. with his size and speed. If he's ever kind of in man against, especially against shiftier running backs, that's really his weakness. Yeah, and that that's that's a great way to phrase it. You're you're limited with what you can do with him in the past coverage, but in the fairness, they're also, you know, Bernard didn't have as much straight line speed, I think, as people thought either. Like, you know, so it's just, you weren't running a lot of, like, man coverage with 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 Bernard anyways. So he doesn't have Bernard's, like, Bernard had a very uh, instinctual ability to strike. And so Bernard was always really good at coming into, like, a pile and, like, hitting an offensive lineman in such a way that the offensive lineman like it's thrown off of balance and he like finds a way to break through it, that's not quite his that's not quite doyle's game but doyle's footwork is like immaculate yeah, i that, mean it just, that's really it, i think what's worth honing in on him yeah. if you ever get a chance to watch him you know if you're if you're got the hankering for games this fall and you're re-watching games from last season 
you know, the coaches call it the rocker step, whenever you're kind of, you know, leaning back, covering a backside gap before you, before you fully commit to anything. And there's other, obviously other footwork technique as well, but his ability lateral to kind of shuffle his feet and then fully yeah. engage forward is, is what really makes him special. Yes. And it just, yeah, all of that. And so, you know, he's what they, they really need that out of those interior defensive, out of those interior linebackers. And, I, you know, he's, he seems like he can provide that on the leadership side. You know, that's, that's always one of those interesting things. We'll talk about that. I think on another episode, because we're going to talk about kind of team formation a little bit more, but the, uh, it, it, I am curious to see how he does kind of stepping up as the team lead. Like it's clear that he is, kind of the elder statesman on in that front seven in terms of, you know, he's been there a while. He's, he's grown up around football his whole life. He knows how to talk to men like that. Like just trying to figure out, can he actually do that? You know, can he actually lead in the room? That's, that's really, that, that's a big key for him. I think his, his consistency and leadership are the differences between him being a really good linebacker and him being a potentially like great, great linebacker. I mean, there's, there's a, there's very much a path to at the end of the year, us looking at Doyle and kind of saying like, he might've been the best Baylor linebacker in the last five or seven years. And I just, yeah. I I I think he has a legitimate shot to be an all American this year. Yeah. I agree with that. So in our last few minutes here, um, after we just effusively praised Doyle and he deserves it, but a kind of a bigger question mark is, you know, I think we kind of know what we're getting from Doyle at this point. The question is how good is he going to be? You know, let's briefly talk about replacing Terrell Bernard. The three primary options Baylor's looking at there with Matt Jones, Will Williams, and Josh White. You know, I I, I sort of posed this question to Aranda the other day, but the interesting thing about this this position battle is that all three of those guys are pretty different, and so yeah. who you choose there really kind of affects what you want from your star, what you want from your safety. However, we have pretty good evidence from this offseason that Aranda and Roberts really love Matt Jones. Um, they want him to replace Bernard at this position. Part of that you can tell is because they've had him lose about 10 pounds from last year. He definitely looks lighter. Um, but he is just a he's a very different player from tr- not only Terrell Bernard, but also from the other guys he's competing with. Do you think Matt Jones is going to A, end up being the starter? And what does it look like if he does? I think he is. Um, and I, I, I think what that tells, I think what, so if he's the starter, I think the, the question that you got to ask yourself is, okay, like what, what are you, what is the defense gain with him being back there that allows other people that frees up other people to do other things? And that, that is, it's important to remember that when with the lone exception of pass rushing matchups, they are often, and I say they, I mean Aranda and Roberts, they are very much going to try to find guys that might not always think we think of as the best player for the position, but the player that allows them to unlock the best possible version of the defense. And so, and those are two different things. And so in the past, um, Jones, I haven't always loved him coming in from depth. He's always seemed like a guy that needs to be on the line, like in that jack. He has really good hands. He just like, doesn't let guys get a hold of him. Right. Yeah. He doesn't let guys get a hold of them. He, he is a, you know, we just talked about how Doyle, uh, Doyle's got great footwork. Well, Jones footwork is firing forward. Like from what I've seen from him, he's good at going forward and he's good at going back. He's almost like a tire, which is like (laughs) going forward. He's doing great. And he's going backward. He's doing great. But if you try to move him side to side, like all of a sudden it gets a little weird. And so he, 
that was the biggest holdup for me with putting him back there was getting used to the angles from a, from a, I, I think it was detached, but an off ball position. Um, and, be, and learning that you can't take that initial step forward, which is something that he is going to struggle with. And we're going right. to see that probably really in the BYU game where he's going to want to take a step up constantly, whether or not that's the right decision or not. He's going to be out of position a bunch uh, early in the season. He just will be. Um, but what it does, it frees them up to do two things. The first one is it gives them something that they don't really have from the other two guys, which is they can turn him loose on a pass rush and he is going to blow the bleep up out of any running back that tries to square him up. Right. I mean, it just, that's, that's like such a mismatch that you don't even think about it. Like you cannot block him with the running back. You just can't do it. And the other thing too, with him, which is different from Bernard, because that is the, that's the exact same with Terrell Bernard last year. Right. But the, but the problem with Bernard was that Bernard was a six foot and a half two twenty, dripping wet. And so if yeah. an offensive lineman ever got his hands on Bernard, it was really over oh, for him. Yeah. And yes. Matt Jones really has the ability where you can say, like, get up on this offensive guard. And, you know, if they leave a running back or tight end on you, great. But also we think you can just beat up on this O-lineman too. Yeah, and I think you'll see that. Like, a, they used Bernard when he came from when he came from death last year. Um they were able to really kind of shoot him. You know, they 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 tried to send him off of edges or try to squeeze him into the middle, but they didn't really line him up very much against interior offensive guards. Yeah. Um, Jones from depth, they can just put him on an offensive guard. I mean, they they just can't. I, I, you know, that is is he's not going to like run an offensive guard over. Like we're not trying to say he's Superman, but they can if they want to bring him from depth. Uh, to you know anchor like not to anchor on a stunt but to basically cause more traffic in a specific area while they're doing something elsewhere like he's going to be really really good at that and he's going to be able to separate back off he doesn't get stuck to guards so like he's a guy that i could see a lot of being used even in like a spy which is like you're gonna you're gonna you dog a running back where if the running back stays and he doesn't immediately leak out he's just gonna go you know you're gonna see that a lot i think rand has talked in the past about there's two different types of dog techniques where um and by a dog technique i mean a linebacker's reading the uh running back and if the running back stays in the block sometimes you you rush and if the running back leaks out you're covering you're covering that individual um there's going to be a bunch of plays they're going to put in where if the running back looks like he's staying at all they're just going to send jones and that's just going to be almost like a default call if he's to that side because there again there is no running back that's going to be able to that's going to be able to hold him up and if he displays the same type of feel uh rushing from depth on the interior that he did from the outside last year, he's going to be able to figure out how to get around because he will be, when you get, when you get those late calls like that, usually it's you're rushing to the side of the running back, but it's get to the quarterback. You're not in the, you're not in the contained plan. Like you don't have to stay in a specific spot. So it's a lot of like, go do your thing, get to the QB. That's, that's what he's going to get called a lot on. The other thing I think though, that he is good at compared to, I haven't, and I'm, I'm going to preface this. I have not seen that Josh White that much. Okay. I think of, for what I have seen of White, he really seems like the guy that is going to be the man after Doyle. Like that's, right. that's the, that's the vibe I get from him. I agree. Uh, but uh, particularly compared to Will Williams, like he is Jones, I, I was surprised at this. He has a very good natural feel on his dropbacks, better than I was expecting. You know, he knows how to move his body about in terms of like not just where the quarterback's eyes goes, but the quarterback's hips will tell you a, a, a lot. Like where they're setting their hips up prior to their eyes will tell you like where the body's going next. He does a really good job when you see the end zone tape of, of like 
being able to track quarterback hips and be able to follow eyes well. And he has a very instinctive feel for uh, crossing routes behind him. That's something that's really tough for a linebacker to get used to, which is you're not, you know, you're not going to turn your head and look at the guy. You're, you're watching the QB. You have to learn to naturally kind of guess where this guy is. You all can't see my hands because I'm doing this through discord, but you know, you're moving kind of laterally because you want to stay between the quarterback and the guy behind you. Um, he seems to have that skill at an early age compared to how much he's done. Um, he does, he's like a less, I think the best way to sum him up, he reminds me a lot of a less athletic, but, um, just as instinctive version of, uh, and now I can't think of his name all of a sudden, but the linebacker for the Cowboys that was from Boise state, whose name all of a sudden, I oh, can't remember. Uh, with, is it the one with Van and his last Van Der Esch? Yeah. Yeah. Van Der Esch, LVE. That's right. Thank you. Van Der Esch. Wait, Van Der Esch. Um, he reminds me a little bit. He reminds me a lot of LVE. He's not quite as big as LVE, but LVE is like two. He's like, LVE is like six, five two forty five or something like that. I mean, he's a big dude. And Jones is, I think, 6'3", 6'4", 235, something like that. Uh, Jones now is like 6'2 and a half, 220, basically. 220. Okay, so they, they, they did slim him up. Um, but in, in the pros, he would just gain that 15 pounds and play at like 235. But the it, he has a very similar game where he's instinctive. He doesn't strike quite as much as you would think he would for a kid his size um, or for a man his size. But, I mean, it's, def, it's definitely there. Um, Will Williams, to me, like – he is that dude is crazy fast you know yeah. I, I i just i'm not i just don't know what you do with him like have, i know you've thought about this what do you think they should do with williams like he's so fast that yeah. it seems like there has to be a spot for him but then occasionally when i watch him play i'm like i, I don't know where you put him sometimes yeah i mean i think there's going to be personnel groupings that baylor yeah. has on the field this year where he's legitimately right. probably the fastest defender on the field like, yeah. and I know that sounds crazy to think about. Uh, he's, I, he's, he's crazy fast. I mean, Mark Milton's faster than him, but honestly, the other corners that Baylor might play, like they might beat him in a 40 or a 50 or 60 yard dash, but Will Williams's first 10 is about as fast as it gets. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, what I've really kind of settled on for him is they're probably, I, I think there's a very small chance they start him over Jones. Um, just because I don't think they trust Will in kind of the – I know this is confusing. We're talking about Will Williams at the Will weak side linebacker spot. But I don't think they trust Williams quite to execute the base down, knowing which gap to plug stuff. Because so much of football for whether it's a two-yard play versus a 12-yard play comes to whether your linebackers fit the right gaps. And it's not yeah. something that you can mess up 10% of the time. Like it's something yeah. you should can only mess up like 2% of the time. And yeah. so, you know, if he can get there, great. But I've kind of settled on for him. It's like, it, you know, think traits, don't think position. And when you think about his traits, he's insanely fast. He's insanely quick. And he's really good in man coverage because his feet are so good. And so I think what, what I've settled on for him is towards the end of last year, Baylor really settled on this dime package to play against 10 personnel teams. And um, I think Will Williams kind of really perfectly settles as a dimebacker. You know, is he an inside linebacker? Is he a safety? Is he a nickel corner? Like, it doesn't really matter what you call him, but he's somebody that you could feel really good about lining up against tight ends, against running backs. And, you know, somebody like Dylan Doyle, you would never want him really fully covering a wheel route against Deuce Vaughn. You know, I feel yeah. great about Will, Will Williams doing that. Yeah. Maybe not against Deuce Vaughn, but like, you know, I don't feel good about anybody oh, covering Deuce Vaughn. I don't know anybody covered Deuce Vaughn. Right. But, but against Maybe your average running back, you know, he's got the feet, he's got the hips. Um, yeah. I, I think that's his role. And I, I, it kind of circles back to 
what I was talking about with all these scholarship numbers they have on this defensive front where, you know, they've got like, uh, they have eight, it's either eight or 10 inside linebacker scholarships. I think it's eight, um, you know, and you know, with seven jacks and then, you know, God knows how many defensive linemen, it just really sets up to where I think you can against certain teams and, and certain personnel groupings, you can really use guys where you might not be able to. I mean, as you said, Dylan Doyle was, one of Baylor's handful of best players on the team last yeah, year by the old, by the Ole Miss game, but they pulled him out in the dime packages and they replaced him with snacks. And yeah. that was definitely the smart and best thing to do. So, you know, whether they pull Doyle or whether they pull Matt Jones to get Williams on the field in these kind of 10 personnel groupings for this dime package, I'm not sure. I kind of lean towards they would probably remove Jones because Doyle just seems like they're probably never going to take him off the field this year unless they have yeah. to. Who, one of those guys is going to be the guy that's making all the calls and that person's not going to get pulled. My guess is that it's Doyle right. just because he's been there for two years now and Jones is is going to linebacker for the first full time right. this year. So that would make the most sense. But yes. And I think and I think, um, you know, the whole idea of dime, right, is to get more speed on the field, get more sideline to sideline coverage, you get more guys who are able to cover out of the slot. And so when Baylor did this last year, they would remove Doyle. And basically it was the four defensive linemen up front, if you include the outside linebacker as the as a lineman. And then they would have Terrell Bernard basically playing as the solo inside linebacker behind that defensive line. I think what you'll see this year is them doing the same thing um, and probably pull Matt Jones, have uh, Dylan Doyle as the solo inside linebacker. And then whether it's Will Williams who's playing that kind of, you know, whether they're putting him in or whether they put in another corner or another safety or whatever it is. But it seems to me like Williams is really, really, we know he's great at one thing and that's covering guys out in the open space and he's a good tackler and everything too. So that seems like a, a good compromise where, you know, he's a fourth year guy. So you really need to get him on the field. It's like, you know, at some point he has to play and uh, Aranda's really good about carving out special roles for guys. So I think that's probably where you're, where you'll see him this year. Cool. Well, we actually have a little bit of extra time. So why don't we talk a little bit about the star position? It's a position that, you know, it, it, it comes down to your definition for whether you want to consider it part of the front or not. And really, it just depends on what kind of um, formation the offense is in. Pretty simply, if they're playing spread ball, the star is not part of the front. Um, if they're playing with two tight ends or even sometimes with one tight end, you can really get him in on the front which means that it's a it's guy who needs to be a versatile player. I mean, we saw that with Jalen Petrie last year. He's a guy who could execute all the zone match coverages out in space, but could also you know set the edge in the run game, blitz, and really be sound in the run game overall. They've moved Al Walcott there. At least he's there in this fall. You know that I am probably more excited about that than anybody else, but I, I would love to hear your take about what Al Walcott brings to the position and how he's different from Lorando Johnson. Yeah, so... I think when I think of Lorando Johnson, I, I think my first thought that comes into my head is is like a Meg specialist, and I don't even know if that's accurate. And Meg is a term that it stands for uh, man everywhere he goes, which basically means that you've got to have incredible hips because you're co- you're covering a lot of two way goes from the slot position. Um, and I don't. He just he seems like a guy who is much more in the vein of a really high quality um, slot cornerback. Right. But I don't, you know, I haven't seen, and this it doesn't mean he can't do it. I'll be very clear on this. It doesn't mean he can't do it. But I haven't seen from him um, the instinctual feel for how to really kind of 
be um, a playmaker be a playmaker and you kind of i mean you do need that you know they're, they're my one of my favorite plays from petrie last year is a play where he he makes the play but don't make the tackle which was is against ut and they went they uh it was an unbalanced formation where he had the edge and then they ran they ran power at him so he petrie who's what like 195 205 something like that yeah I mean, 195 yeah so he's he has the edge against a guard who is 310 and a tight end coming behind him uh, that's 245. So 200 pounds versus 500 pounds. And he gets upfield and he manages to hit the guard in like the one square inch spot on his upfield shoulder and wrong shoulder him and blow up the guard so that the guard falls backwards into the tight end. And so Petrie takes out two dudes, both of which are like 50 and 100 pounds more than he is, and stones the run play. Now, the run play, like, and when I say stone, he doesn't get up to make the tackle, but like that, it creates this wall that's four yards deep that the running back can't get around. He has to stop his momentum, turn and face the uh, uh, turn and try to get upfield. He gets tackled for a one yard loss. And that play from the star position, like, that's the, almost the most important play you can have because that, I mean, that's a super play. It's a spectacular play. It's why he got drafted as high as he did as plays like that. But that, that ability to set the edge hard in the run game against a power formation at that weight, that opens up almost everything else. You know, the Jack and the star flexibility at those positions allows them to do all the other stuff around trying to get great matchups because, Guess what? You want to run power at Petrie. Okay, that's cool. That's a one yard loss. You just your guard and your ta- your guard and your your pulling guard and your pulling um, tight end just got lit up by a guy 150 pounds less combined. I mean, like it just that, that seems ridiculous to say out loud, but he was able to do that. Um, he was really kind of the other term that you hear sometimes is a force multiplier. Like yep. his ability to 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 be the linchpin in space in the run game is really invaluable and i don't if i had to pick the one thing that they want from the star of anything else i think it's that i don't think it's pass rush ability i think it's that because if you can do that and then execute your your coverage drops in the zone even if you're not an elite coverage guy then you can't like the teams can't just load up and run power at your star guy to get right. into the fit. Like, and it just, it's, it prevents them from being able to do stuff. Right. And so I think that's what, I think that's what Walcott can do. I don't think Walcott is as good as a man coverage guy. I don't, as but I do. No, not as Petrie. I mean, as uh, okay. Miranda. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Um, but I don't think he's as good as a man coverage guy, but you don't always necessarily need that except on third downs. So you can kind of find things to do with him. And so I, I, I really like it. I think it's going to be, it is going to be different. He, he's, he's bigger than Petrie. I am a little surprised. We're not seeing Morgan there. Um, I thought we would. Well, I think we are. Um, I think we are, but I, I kind of think, I thought that was going to be like maybe the starter. It yeah. seems like Morgan yeah. is. I, my, my first thought originally when Petrie left was that Morgan was probably either going to be was going to be the starter there. And that doesn't seem to be the case at the moment. Yeah. Um, I mean, that might be the case. Who knows? But that's that's what I think you're going to see. I think you're going to he's he's a better run run support guy. And hopefully over time we'll be able to execute. I mean, he played cornerback forever. So I think it just being able to execute at that at that level for those zone match concepts like 
Yeah. That's just super valuable. I, what like you were the guy though? I will say this: like you were the guy that has been geeking out about this. Like I think since like December, you started talking. <laughs> about this. Like, Petrie's gonna go like walk up, walk up, walk up. Like walk me through your emotions when you <laughs> saw the press release or the tweet, and then like what is it that you've been envisioning there for him that you think is just like so amazing? Well, I mean, I just think it goes to, you know, when I interjected and just said playmaker, right? Um, I think if you can kind of sum up what they want at that position, really the one non-negotiable is somebody who has a nose for the ball. And I'm writing an article about this for 365 because I think fans might, some listeners might be saying, well, like, what does that even mean? Like, can't you kind of teach anybody to be around the ball or like, isn't it kind of more luck who gets interceptions or, or forces fumbles? It's just really not the case. And honestly, I've learned that mostly from doing recruit evaluations because one thing you'll fall yourself in the trap for is like, like for example, there's a guy on Baylor's roster named Romario Noel, who's actually played the star position and loved him out of high school. He's not really a playmaker though. Um, in high school, he's, he's not really getting a lot of interceptions. He's not forcing a lot of fumbles, but he has freak athleticism. So I think he could still work at the position. But guys who, you know, the kind of the adage is guys who make plays in high school make plays in college. Obviously, you need requisite athleticism and everything else to make that happen. But guys who just have that kind of the knack make it happen. When you watch Jalen Petrie's high school highlights, it looks basically the exact same as he does at Baylor. It's like literally four or five straight minutes of him just picking passes off, forcing fumbles, making plays in the backfield, sacks, etc. And the funny thing is, is I went back and rewatched Al Walcott's um, Juco highlights, and he was playing corner at Juco. And he's still like the first three minutes of his highlight tape are all like forced fumbles, interceptions and pass breakups, which yeah. Jeff, you've watched a lot of high school tape like I have the, the number of corners who can have more than 30 seconds of like those kind of plays is rare, rare, rare. rare. Yeah. And he has like literally two and a half or three straight minutes of it. And so he just, you know, if you can do that at the corner spot, he's just a guy that I'm just like, get him around the ball. And it's really hard to dictate you know, to, to force a corner, um, in the backfield, but at star, that's exactly what you're doing. You, you know, you can really play with where they are. You can run blitz them. You can pass rush them. Uh, you can kind of, you're very, very flexible. And he's just a guy that I think fans are underrating him in the sense of like, I'm pretty out there, I guess, in the sense of like, I think he's an all big 12 guy at star. Like, I just think the fit is that perfect. Really all it comes down to how good of a player he is, is how good he becomes setting the edge in the run game. We know that he's physical and we know that he likes to mix it up, but setting the edge in the run game is not about purely mixing it up. It's about like playing with good technique. You got to keep your feet, you got to keep your balance. You have to stay, you have to stay um, honest in your gap, in your gap control. Um, But I think all the, all the ingredients are there. And I think he's very, you know, Petrie was a guy who would have like two or three interceptions, you know, a handful of sacks you know, 10 plus tackles for loss and a couple of pass breakups in a, in a season. And to me, it's just like, I just feel like that's basically destined to happen for Walcott this year. That would be spectacular if we did. Okay. We still, I still have a few more minutes. So I got to, I'm going to ask you another couple of questions because okay. I, I want your feedback on this. So you're, let's, t- let, let's like, if you were designed your ideal mix of a pass rushing front against mm-hmm. like with the guys, like, who is it that you would have out there and why? Like okay. I'm thinking really specifically, and I'll say this, I'm thinking specifically of the Jacks because we yep. there's there seems to be like, there's a lot of specialists, I think, at the Jack position and not a lot of generalists. That's that's my first impression right absolutely. now. That's absolutely right. 
And so I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, who do you think those guys are and why are you taking them? Like, we'll start, we'll start with pass rush. Like it's two, two, there you go. It's two minute drill. Right. So you've got, you, you got pass rushers out there on first down. Like what, who are the guys you're going with and why? Yeah. I mean, so I, I'm trying to remember who they had on the field in this exact situation against Oklahoma state last year. Um, I know Victor Obi was one of them. I'm talking about obviously the Oklahoma state's last drive that ended on the one inch line, but I think, you know, you have to start with Bryson Jackson, um, who had a phenomenal finish to his season. And they really struggled to find a role for him for a while until they realized, like, okay, we'll make sure that he knows how to execute basic run defense in case he act, ever has to play it. But this guy's a pass rusher. Just just yeah. let him loose. Yeah. Um, he has – he's kind of weird, Jeff. I don't. What would you call it? So Bryson has stiff hips but is very good – like laterally, I don't, I don't know what you would call that. Um, like he, it, he, he's a weird dude. And I, I mean, this is the best possible way. I, I don't really understand his body, the way he moves, like his, his hip stiffness, he shouldn't be able to move laterally that well, considering the fact that he doesn't have hardly any bend in him. Like it's right. It's really weird. Like I don't, yeah. I mean like he, he's, he naturally he's got it, but I just, it, you're right. It's hard to describe because I can't really think of another player like that, where it's like, you look stiff as a board, but you're like grease lightning moving side to side. Like that just, those two things don't yeah. line up about, uh, about a football player. And so he's really good on all those kind of tackle end stunts where he's yeah. looping around a bigger guy and he's, he's just able unbelievably explosive. Once he plants his foot to get up field, like they were, I think it was the last old miss down yes. of the game where like he looped in and then he hit right where the center was. He planted his foot. And I mean, he looked like he was shot out of a cannon to get right. like eight yards upfield and just blew up that old miss QB. I mean, just yep. destroyed yeah, really fun to watch. And he's, so he's, I think you've got to start with him and it's funny. Um, Aranda doesn't really call out, um, or I shouldn't say call out, but you know, specify players a lot when he's answering questions. And I, I remember one of the few players he's mentioned this offseason was like, we know that teams are going to be really kind of aligning their O-line pass protection schemes around protecting against Bryson because he's that good. Um, it's basically what Aranda said, which was kind of surprising to me because like, I thought of Bryson as having a really strong end of the season, but I think they're, they really see him as a guy they can feature this year. So I think yeah. it has to start with him. As we talked about earlier, I think Jackson Player and Apu Aika are probably your two best pass rushing defensive linemen. Gabe Hall's great as well. So any of those three guys, I think about on the inside. Um, and then, you know, I think what we're really talking about here is like Baylor's going to play with a lot of four and five man fronts on these pass rushdowns, right? Um, yeah. And the reason why, you know, the reason why five man fronts are so in vogue and they're and they're especially useful for guys like Aranda is because. When you present a lot of times on these pass downs, right, you only have five offensive linemen and a running back. And defenses are trying to do everything they possibly can to force that running back to stay into pass protection. Because if you can keep him in, he's another guy who can't flood a zone out there in the pass in the pass game, and it helps you keep more guys covering wide receivers. And so when you play with five guys in the front, the offense has to make the decision of are we going to send the running back out into the pass game and leave all of these guys in one V one, or are we going to say, okay, we can't leave Jackson player one one on one versus this guard or Apu Aika or Bryson Jackson versus this offensive tackle or all these guys on stunts, et cetera. And so um, it, 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 I think they're going to play with a lot of those five man fronts, which is going to involve bringing up another a linebacker, which is probably going to be a Dylan Doyle or a Will Williams or somebody like that. Um, but you know, you know, the, the Jack position is so fun because, you know, Victor Obi, uh, who I mentioned, I think 
is another guy like you're never probably probably going to see him on base downs, but you're going to see him on pass rush downs because he's very similar to Bryson Jackson. Um, you know, we, we love, I know Jeff, you and I love Jackie Marshall. Uh, I don't know how he's a guy who's, he's literally six foot one, 282 pounds on the roster. Like, and I don't plays, understand how it works. Yeah. His, I mean, it's, it's because his thighs are as big as my torso, like literally. Um, yeah, so I know we, you and I have a friend who compare him to like, it's kind of a tongue in cheek, but like, he's kind of Ed Oliver esque in the sense like yeah. that he's just super explosive from inside. But I think it's, I think what's really fun about Baylor's pass rushing downs this year is that you're going to get a great contrast where you can have some big guys on the interior with guys like Jackson Player, um, Apu Aika, Gabe Hall on the interior to where, you know, it's not like you can just run at those guys and feel great about it um, if you wanted to, you know, try and mix it up on a third and seven or whatever. But then they're flanked by these guys like Bryson Jackson, Victor Obi. We haven't even talked about Garmin Randolph, which is absurd. Um, yeah. You know, he's a guy who I, he's going to be Baylor starting Jack. And I think the big the big question you and I have for him, Jeff, is is Garmin just going to be a solid, a, a really good player on base downs that ends up getting subbed out on third downs? Or does he become such a good pass rusher that he just stays on the field all the time? Yeah, the guy I'm going to pull an NFL analogy out for him. The guy that he reminds me of a lot was or is um Greg Ellis from the Dallas Cowboys about 15 years ago. And so like Greg Ellis famously got drafted uh, right like spot or two before Randy Moss. Um, he was, he was a very, very good defensive end. He was a strong, I mean, he was a, a LDE means a strong side defensive uh, end in a, in a four, three front. And then Bill Parcells got here and said, okay, like that's great. We're going to make you stand up and play outside linebacker. And he was able to be an exceptional run defender in a two-point from the outside linebacker position, but he was never able to really master the pass rush from the two-point. Now, if you put him in a three-point, he was great. I mean, he was a borderline all-pro defensive end for like five to seven years. Um, so, I mean, it was like he was a bad player, but he just never got, and I think because of his height, he never got super comfortable um, pass rushing from a two point. That's what I see a lot of when I when I think of Randolph, which is Randolph has sometimes struggled with his physicality. I, I actually don't worry about that. I usually these guys like if they if you keep playing for long enough, like it, it's hard for me to imagine that he's not going to be more physical this year than he was last year if he's still playing football. I mean, like you start you just to kind learn. Of in, yeah, I mean you, you learn. You learn. You start so, to learn that it's more fun to dish out punishment than receive it. Yeah. And so, like, I, I don't really worry about his physicality. You know, he's got all the tools in the toolbox. But I, I do. He. I do wonder if he's just too tall to be an effective pass rusher standing up. And that's okay if he is. I mean, like, he his arm length and his strength. If he, you know, he's he's been dominating in the weight room according to those Friday things that we see that show up on the BU football like strength and conditioning Twitter page. I mean, that's, that we, that's, we definitely do. don't overanalyze those. Yeah. We definitely don't, we don't like, like, <laughs> you know, look at those like the Sapruder film to like track, track player progress. Um, <laughs> but you know, if his strength really is getting that much better and he's even a little bit more physical, like he's going to be a dominant run defender. I mean, he is. And so if he's able to figure out how to get a little wiggle in his game um, from a pass rush perspective, that'd be great. I, I think this is probably the best time to talk about this. Um, I am, Really excited for, I might as well mention this because I, I said this last year to y'all, to you specifically, and I, I mean this very, very, very straightforward. 
Um, I'm very happy for Joey McGuire that he is at Texas Tech. I think Joey has the potential or he's got the he's got the baseline toolkit to maybe be like a really great head coach. Um, he'll have to do some adjusting to that. But, you know, he's he I, I do think that they will get there at, at Tech. That doesn't mean that I don't think that the current position coach is probably a better position coach than he was. Um, those are two different skill sets to be honest, like a position coach in college requires, if you're going to be really good at it, you got to really, really, really understand the technique. Um, there were times prior to last year where I would look at Baylor's uh, outside linebackers or wherever he was, particularly outside linebackers, and kind of go, I'm not seeing the pass rushing moves from you guys that I would have expected. And when he left uh, last year, all of a sudden, there were a couple of guys, particularly Randolph. Like I remember Randolph pulled a long arm technique out of nowhere against, I think the Texas or no, it was the OU game. And I remember looking at that and being like, where in the world did that come from? Like I, that, that hasn't been here forever. And I think that from a position coach perspective, those guys are probably going to get a little bit better coaching this year than they did last year. That doesn't mean that McGuire's not going to be a great head coach. It just means that I think he's probably not the ideal position coach for that spot because pass rushing requires a lot of technique we say that about every position though it's technique state but it is also true like you've got to learn how to get comfortable and like you're you know you need really one fastball it's like pitching you need your one fastball then you need your three off speeds i think um i do think that uh caleb will be able to really hopefully do that better i mean i do i do think that there was an increase in performance from those guys in the, at the end of the year um so that's i'm really excited about that i you know the jacks like I just I got no idea what we're going to see. I mean, it right. just seems like they're going to be playing like eight guys a game right. at that spot. And I mean, it's just going to be like who's who, no idea what's going on. You know, to me, just I see it as you know, like, it with the seems... exception of Garmin, who I think there's a decent chance he's gone after this year to the NFL. Um, I, I really kind of see this year as almost like a casting call for who's going to be the dudes for next year. Baylor's yeah, fixing to lose. That's... Baylor's fixing to lose a lot of defensive linemen. I think they're going to be playing with two jacks on the field. I mean, when one of your jacks is Jackie Marshall and he weighs 285 pounds, like, you know, what is the meaningful distinction between him and a defensive end? There, there isn't really one. So I think we're going to see a lot of that. Um, and I, I think real quickly, I think it, something that's helpful for, for fans when Jeff's talking about technique here and, and how a position coach can impact things. I, I liked your analogy. Um, I don't know if you meant it or not with the, with, you know, the different pitches that a, that a pitcher can use because it's not just about, you know, any, anybody, any idiot can look up, um, uh, pass rush moves on YouTube and try and teach them to their kids. Right. But it's not, it's not just about, them knowing the moves. It's about them knowing how to set them up versus, you know, how to work off of each other. And it's the same deal for pitching, right? It's not just about having yeah. a fastball curveball change up. It's about knowing how to work those, work those different pitches off of each other. So I think hopefully what you might see this year is that guys, you know, in college, I think you feel great if a guy knows one pass rush move and then you yeah. feel good, you know, you feel even better if they can work two or three, get two or three. So for guys like Randolph, what I'm hoping to see is that, Yes, they've known the moves before, but maybe they have a, a you know a better sense of when and how to use them. So that way, those moves are more effective. Because at the end of the day, how many pure pass rushes are you getting per game? You know, maybe eight, nine, ten. Um, yeah. So it, it's a it's a high stakes thing where you got to choose right and you got to do it right. I think it was the um, who was the Ohio State defensive end who was drafted real high uh, recently, Jeff. Um, 
How about Bosa. the guy watching? Uh, Bosa. Oh, Bosa. Sorry. Yeah. yeah they, I, think, they so many. I wasn't real sure. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I think, I, I think I remember when he was getting drafted, he had some fun videos like talking about like, okay, I used this move in the first quarter because I knew that it was starting to get him to do this. And then once he started yeah. doing this, I counterpunched with that. Like that is what pass rushing is all about. Yeah. And uh, it's tough for college kids to learn that way. So I think that'll be something fun to watch for this season, no doubt. Uh, so before we go, I got to ask you like one more question because I, you're the optimist. So I'm going to let you run with this. Um, what like the realistic best version of this front looks like what? Because this, I, I do think you and I are both aligned. We expect this to be the strength of the team, right? Like that's not a, I'm not, I'm not going out on a limb there to say stupid course, stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, if like the, the realistic best version of this team looks like what to you? A best I, version of the front. Like, yeah, I mean, who, I think, I think what it looks like is a front that is so good that even if they get really bad free safety play, and even if one of their corner spots is pretty questionable, that it's good enough for them to win every game this year. Um, All right, so I'm going to extend that. Then, is it good enough for them to be competitive in a playoff game? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I mean, that and that is the other best case scenario to where like they're going up against an Alabama, they're going up against a Georgia and Ohio state. I know you've basically said a version of this, but you know, you know, if you walk out a front out there with, with Gabe Hall, Apu Ika, Jackson player, Cole Maxwell against Ohio state's offensive line. Um, not only do I feel okay in that scenario, I think there's a pretty good chance that Baylor's front is better than off than Ohio state's offensive line. Um, whether that applies to Alabama's offensive line or Georgia's offensive line, I'm not quite as certain about that, but either way, they're not getting blown off the ball and they might be good enough to, you know, if they're going to win a playoff game against those teams, they can't have bad free safety play and they can't have bad corner yeah. play, but, but it won't be because of the front. exactly, yeah. but it won't be because of the front and specifically to my first comment, um, you know, if they get bad free safety play or if one of their corners is bad, it doesn't make it more likely that they're going to win every game. But I, I think this is very much a scenario to where the front is going to be so good and it's a realistic best case scenario, but I'm almost putting it sort of towards the median to where, you know, they're not going to get, it's not going to take them out of ball games, even if they have poor play on the back end. Yeah. I, my answer to that, I think would be, well, actually I'm not going to answer because I'll just, I'll let you, I'm going to let you run with that. I think the two guys that I would want to point out for, for the casual fan would be like, I, if I run through the front real quick, I feel very confident in who the, in the players that Cole Maxwell, um, Apu, um, the second like player, a lot of this, you know, TJ Franklin, I feel very confident in who those guys are. I feel pretty, honestly, I actually feel pretty confident in who Matt Jones is going to be at this point. Like right. I expect him to struggle for the first few games, like just getting used to playing from depth. Like it, that happens to everybody. I also think that by like November, I, I I think he's going to be really good at that position. I just, I feel, I feel pretty confident in that. I mean, we, Baylor's been very blessed with the linebackers coaches. The previous coach, Saravo, is, I mean, prior to the current coach, was like the best linebacker coach I'd ever seen at Baylor. And he wanted, you know, he wanted him at linebacker too. Like that was the original spot that he saw him at. Right. So it just, it's not like this is a big stretch here. Um, and I think, like, if Doyle can be more consistent, he's a potential All-American. The two guys that I am really fascinated by are Hall and uh, Randolph. Randolph, yeah. And if, you know, if both those dudes have big years, then, and by big years, like, they're going to the NFL because they have, like, Petrie-type seasons where it's like, you're probably going to be taken 
maybe not day one, but like on day two. You know, that, that's a good way to think about it. Like these guys could be day two players, like Petrie was. Um, if those guys can turn themselves into day one or day two players, like it's a filthy defensive front. I mean, right. like it, it really is. I mean, like you're talking about having potentially NFL players at literally, six, literally every position yeah. and day one or day two players at the majority of your positions. Yeah. Like yeah. that, I, I don't think people really understand how impressive that is. And then you combine it like the flip side of that is you worry about injuries, but the defensive the depth on the defensive front means they're not going to have to play these guys like injury prone level snaps in games against a lot of games because they're just, they're going to be able to rotate those dudes more. So, you know, if both of those, if neither of those two guys takes the step that we want them to really take, it's still a really good defense. Mm -hmm. I think if one of those guys kind of takes that step and it's like, wow, Gabe Hall put it all together or Randolph got that pass rushing move and he looks like a day two or day one pick, then it's a great defense. If both those dudes put it together, then that's the part where I start looking around and going like, it's really not an exaggeration for me to think that like if both those guys were to play well, that's a front that could go into an Alabama or a Georgia game and go, you know, first one to 30 points wins, which is bananas to say out loud. Yeah. But I do think that's true. Like those, those fronts are going to have that level of quality if those guys can take step. And so those, that, those are the two guys I'm most interested in watching over the first month. How are, are they better? Are they more consistent? Can you see the growth path for them? Um, and I think the last- that word consistent is really important for them yeah. because I think it's worth reiterating here that Gabe Hall and Garmin Randolph, their floor this season, I think, is somewhere around being like a second team all Big 12 honorable mention type, like yeah. right on the verge of that level. I would say, I would say more honorable mention. I, I'm not that. I mean, I meant, sorry, I meant like on the fence between like, is this guy going to be a second team all Big 12 versus okay. an honorable mention? That, that's what I meant. So, yeah. And I don't know I, if that's still too strong for you, but like it, it, I think that would be a little too strong for me with Hall. I don't think like I, I my ex- expectation is those two guys are both going to be better this year. I just I, I wouldn't worry if you if you're a fan, you're watching it. Don't get too hung up over what they look like in September. Okay, mm-hmm. it's much more like it's the way that the best teams are constructed is you're always building towards November and into December. Like mm-hmm. that's how, that's how the best teams now built. And that's what Aranda did last year. That's a little what rule did in 2019 as well. Like that's how it works. So if those two guys don't look great in September, I'm not going to get frustrated, but they're both going to need to stay healthy and they both have to play better getting into November. And if they do, it's, it's, well, it's going to be, what a you, I think what you love about the, the possibility of them getting better is the fact that, you know, <laughs> Garmin, you may be really, really good, but you've got uh, Tony Anyanwu and Jackie Marshall breathing down your neck. You know, th- yeah. that's a pretty good incentive for you to, to learn to really play tough in the run game and kind of hone your pass rush moves. And same deal for Gabe Hall. <laughs> DJ, you know, Meatball proved he will play Braden Nutley over you if you do not play well. Yeah. Um, you know, Braden Nutley started for the first four or five games last year over Gabe Hall. And it wasn't until Gabe really started to put things together that he started. So that, I mean, coaches talk about it all the time, but it's obviously true. You know, competition breeds excellence. And to the people that, you know, if if you're still listening and, and you're not a Baylor fan and you think that we're smoking crack over here by talking about how, how good this Baylor team could be, I would, you know, I always try and think of things down to inputs, right? I want to feel get a feel of how good the defense is going to be, how good the offense is going to be. And then obviously specifically within that, you know, we're talking about the defensive front today. I mean, show me where Jeff's wrong when we're talking about 
obviously Matt Jones is kind of a TBD for how he works out at inside linebacker. But I think worst case scenario on this front, you're looking at three or four NFL draft picks on this front that are like playing as veterans right now. And then best case scenario, which is not unrealistic by any means, you're looking at six or seven of these guys being draft picks, which is, I mean, at, at the college level, I mean, there are a lot of Bama defenses that have been top two or three in the country that don't have six or seven draft picks on their front seven. It's, yep. um, I mean, that's not overstating things. So I think watching the front is going to be spectacular this year. I think this leads well into us potentially talking about the secondary um, on our next episode, because I think that really kind of will, you know, <laughs> that, that'll, that'll deflate us a little bit more. Right. I mean, the floor, I think, I think the front sets the floor, you know, yeah. I think it's worth saying here. Like I, I basically, I, I can't see how Baylor falls below like the 25th or 30th, 30th best yeah. defense in the country this year. unless like literally four or five of these guys that we're talking about as starters get hurt. Um, but whether they're the 20th best defense in the country or the fifth, I think is really going to be determined by, you know, those couple of players, Gabe Hall, Garmin Randolph, and then what, what Baylor does on the back end. So we'll save that for next time. Jeff, this was awesome. I'm glad that your U-Haul or whatever got delayed. So we had a little bit more time to talk. Uh, we'll do this soon again next time and appreciate it very much. All right. Thanks y'all.